In John's Gospel, Jesus says that he is the resurrection and the life. What does that mean? How does he prove it? Well, we're going to spend some time in that gospel over the next few weeks here on this podcast as I play you some of the sermons I've given at my church on the topic. So let's dive into John now and see what he has to say. Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Just imagine for a moment that you're in a room with your most trusted friends. You've spent years together. You've seen some amazing things together. You've laughed together, you've cried together, and you've shared life together. Truly the best of friends. Maybe you've got friends who are coming to your mind. But over dinner, much to your surprise, one of your friends stands up and says, very truly I say to you, one of you is going to betray me. How would you react? What would you say? Well, as we've just seen in our passage this evening, that's exactly what happens here. And it tells the sobering tale of a betrayal that dwarfs all others. But at the same time, it shows us a friend who loves and who loves to the end. So this evening, we're going to be thinking about how Jesus loves and how Jesus is betrayed, how Jesus loves and how he is betrayed. And in order to get what's going on here, we need to see the the backdrop, just to see how big this betrayal is. So our first thing we're going to see is see how Jesus loves. We're coming off the back of Jesus just washing his disciples' feet. Do you remember that from last week? And as he's done that, Jesus has been saying some things. John's calling our attention to that in the very first words of verse 21, after he had said this. So what things has he just said? Well, Jesus had just been saying that he set an example for his disciples. Not an example in foot washing per se, as we've just seen, but in service, in doing as he has just done. Ultimately, Jesus is pointing his disciples here to the sacrifice he's going to make, the sacrifice of his life for many others. And so the disciples are to do as he has done, to serve one another. Since a servant is not greater than their master, they need to be doing this. But at the same time, Jesus has just said that one of them will betray him. One of those men whom he's just served will take that hand-washed foot of theirs and raise their heel against him. And in doing so, they're going to fulfil Old Testament scripture. We've seen that in verse 18, if you just look back up there. Jesus is quoting David in one of the Psalms, and he's saying that is going to happen to him. So after saying this, Jesus and his disciples, they've sat down to enjoy some food. Just this this tightly bound group of friends, the the twelve. But as this is going on, Jesus is troubled in his spirit. We've seen this language already in the evenings. It's appeared back with Lazarus, back in chapter 12. The sight of people mourning over Lazarus' death moved Jesus in his spirit. And we saw it again later in chapter 12 as well, as the Greeks arrived, prompting Jesus to announce that his hour had now come. Jesus' soul was troubled. But both times he carried on. He carried on on the way to the cross. And each time when Jesus is troubled in spirit, he carries on. He shows his love 
by carrying on to the cross. So here in chapter 13, Jesus is troubled again. And by saying this, John is pointing us to something that's going to come, something that's important. So what is it? We've just seen it. The betrayal of one of his closest friends. So Jesus testifies, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. How would you feel in that situation? You can kind of cut the tension with a knife, can't you? The disciples' eyes, they they dart around. Who's he on about? Well, you can tell when people are close, when no communication is needed, can't you? The raising of an eyebrow, the rolling of an eye. If you're married, you know that a look can speak a thousand words. Getting a glance from my wife now. Friends who know each other can communicate without words, can't they? They can communicate with just a glance. And here we we see the closeness of this group of friends. These friends who've been brought together by Jesus, these people who've been loved by him. Throughout this section, John is just highlighting to us how close this group of friends really are. I don't know if you noticed that as we went through. The eyes darting around shows us that no one suspected a thing. They were close. They couldn't imagine any of them betraying Jesus. You see that in the way they're sitting as well. Verse 23, the disciple Jesus loved was reclining next to him. This is a casual, uh, a friendly meal that's going on. Friends sitting down to dine. But Jesus had just sent a shockwave through the group with his announcement. Someone is going to betray him. So Simon Peter, once again, using no words, motions to John to ask Jesus, what is he on about? So John leans back and asks Jesus, Lord, who is it? We saw last week that Jesus knows that what all that is about to happen. We saw that back in verses 1 to 20. The emphasis on Jesus knowing, as Sam pulled out last week. And here it is again, verse 26. Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. If you knew your friend was going to betray you, how would you feel about paying for their lunch? Well, Jesus does more than that here. He's always known he was going to be betrayed by Judas, but still he loved him. He cared for him. He washed his feet. He gave him food. So even in this very moment here, Jesus is loving Judas by giving him this piece of food. In fact, Jesus has already loved Judas in this passage. When he announced that one of the disciples would betray him, that was an opportunity for Judas to come forward. As those eyes were darting around, Judas could have come forward and asked for forgiveness. He could have asked to repent from what he was about to do. The position Judas seems to be seated at might highlight that to us as well. We know from the passage where John, the beloved disciple, is sitting at Jesus' side. So the question is, where is Judas sitting? It seems like he might be on the other side of Jesus, on the side of Jesus, the side of honour, the side of favour. Again, Jesus showing love to Judas. Just see in this passage how much Jesus loves. He could have stood up right there and then and pointed at Judas, but he didn't. He could have started shouting and calling Judas out in front of the whole group of disciples, but he didn't. Instead, he chose to show him honour, all the while knowing what he's going to do next. See how Jesus loves. 
And by doing what he did, Jesus is setting in motion the greatest act of love ever seen. His death for others. See how Jesus loves. But in the face of such love, Judas's betrayal of Jesus is shown to be the most hideous kind. After years of being loved by Jesus, how he can just turn and sell him for 30 pieces of silver. Let's have a look at our next point then. See how Jesus is betrayed. There have been many great betrayals over the years in movies. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of that. This might come to mind for Ian. From Lando Calrissian in Star Wars to Severus Snape in Harry Potter. From Boromir in Lord of the Rings to Scar in The Lion King. Long live the king. You feel hurt. You feel the pain for the person who's being betrayed. But there is one name that everyone associates with betrayal, isn't there? There's one name I'm sure went down the ranks in favourite children's names at the time. There's the greatest act of betrayal that these movies here only scarcely imitate. And it happens right here in this passage. We've seen that Judas had a thing for money back in chapter 12, verse 6. He used to dip into the money bag for himself. Then we saw last week in verse 2 of this chapter that the devil had already put it into Judas's heart to betray Jesus. And now as we come to verse 27, we see Satan enter Judas to betray Jesus. But also notice that Jesus gave Judas permission Jesus tells Judas to leave. Jesus tells him to do it quickly. Jesus has already said he is the one who lays down his life for the sheep and that no one takes his life from him. So through all of this betrayal, Jesus is still in control. He still knows everything that is going to happen to him. In comparison to his disciples who don't seem to know anything that's going on. We're showing that this communication Jesus has with Judas using words, is not understood by the rest of the dinner party. No one at the table knew why Jesus had said this to Judas. Perhaps they're still too bound to words. They're missing the symbolism of what's going on, just like before. Perhaps they're thinking to themselves, well, no one can stop Jesus. He's just raised someone from the dead. Perhaps they still don't realise that Jesus has to die. Instead, they seem to think that Judas has been sent on some kind of errand or off to do some kind of good. We saw something similar happen when Judas was complaining about Mary's pouring of expensive perfume over Jesus' feet, perfume that had cost a year's wages. The disciples then thought that Judas meant something good with what he was saying. But just like then, it is now. The disciples thinking better of Judas than he really deserves. And it's a reminder to us that Judas is in it and has always been in it for the money. It would be plausible for Judas to be heading out to collect food for the Passover feast that was coming. For the night when the Jewish people would remember how a lamb had been slain in their place. How God had provided a rescue for his people, for the people that he loved. So in some senses, that is what Judas is doing. Because in sending Judas off, Jesus has set in motion the method for how that lamb, what that lamb pointed towards, would be fulfilled. 
how the Passover festival is going to find its goal. It's going to find the thing that it points to. As Jesus goes to serve and love his own through his death. So verse 30. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out. We're not going to see him again until he returns with Roman soldiers in tow. Rejecting the resurrection and the life. Choosing the dark over the light. So John can write, right there at the end, and it was night. I don't think John's just writing that to give us a time indicator. I don't think it's just a superfluous piece of information there. Throughout John's Gospel, we've seen this light and dark metaphor over and over again. So in betraying Jesus, John is pointing out Judas has chosen the darkness. He's chosen not to believe in the light. The light that is connected to life. John's told us that right at the start of the Gospel. So in Judas's betrayal, in Judas's rejection of Jesus, he is heading out into the night. He's heading down the path of death. He's chosen not to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. He's chosen not to have life in his name. This passage is frightening, isn't it? When you really think about it. There's someone who can seem so close to Jesus. There's someone who can share his own bread. That someone who can spend years with Jesus can turn and reject him so easily. That someone can pass off as a follower and no one suspect a thing. That that person can reject Jesus. It puts in stark contrast the responses to who Jesus is and what he's come to do. Either accept and believe in him and walk in the light or reject and don't believe in him and walk in the night. But notice that Jesus is showing love to both groups of people here. Even though he knows what's going to happen, he still loves Judas. He still shares with Judas. He still honours Judas. It just makes the rejection so much worse. But Jesus still loves. Jesus still shows patience. John has given us this passage to show us the shocking act of rejection, but also to see Jesus' love. The love he had to tolerate Judas. We've seen that Jesus knew all along Judas was going to do this. But as far as we can tell, Jesus never gave a hint to his disciples by the way he treated Judas. And that grace, that patience of Jesus is still the same today. It still extends to all of those who are his as we fail to obey, as we offend him day by day. I'm sure if you follow Jesus for years, you'll be able to attest to that. I'm sure you're pleased that Jesus is patient with you. But it's that love that is going to take Jesus to the cross. The cross where he's ultimately going to serve his people. The cross where every sin is paid for once and for all. So that anyone, wherever they are, can come to him. John is calling out from this passage, saying, turn from sin, believe in him, come into the light. And that message is open to us all. So as we see how Jesus loved and we see how Jesus was betrayed, we can heed the warning. Don't be like Judas going out into the dark. Believe in the light of the world and have life in his name.
I hope you found that helpful and edifying. If you have any feedback or questions, feel free to reach out to me via email. The details are in the show notes. But until next time, let's keep praising God this week.